welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Good morning, church. Welcome to those of you who are watching online and are in the soft worship. My name is Pastor Lindsay Willis. It is my great honor and privilege to introduce my dear friends, Pastor John and Helen Burns, that have been sharing with us all weekend long. I've known Pastor John and Helen for about 18 years. They're like a brother and a sister to me. I introduced them to Pastor Rob and Becca about six years ago. They have grown in their friendship, and they're here this weekend to share what they share as they travel the world. The only place they haven't preached this is to penguins yet in Antarctica. But they are passionate about relationships, making marriages and family flourish the way God designed them. They brought a lot of resources with them. And if what you enjoy today really speaks to you, then go out there and take them home. I get to talk to them all the time, but you can take them home and they can talk to you every day. Make use of their resources. And now, would you give a River Valley welcome to Pastor John Burns. Good morning, River Valley. Will all the good-looking people smile at me? Come on, I dare you not to. Smiles are quite contagious, aren't they? It's amazing. I love your church, love the atmosphere, love the expectancy here, love what God is doing here, love your pastors. Do you know that Pastor Rob is right now preaching in Healing Place Church in Baton Rouge? So we should all be praying for him and, you know, Twittering, Pastor Rob, we're praying for you. We love you. They're amazing, amazing. God's hand is on this church. Have you noticed? Has anyone noticed God's hands on this church? And, and, you know, that's an amazing thing to pay attention to. Oftentimes in life, we do what we want to do and then ask God to bless it. Instead of us tuning into what he's doing, and getting involved with what he's already blessing. And I, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but um, just keep on doing everything you're doing because you're making a difference in the world. Thank you for that. Um, I want to take a little time today and uh, share some really, I think, important principles. I kind of, you know, I could go all kinds of places all over the map, but I've narrowed it down to three things I want to talk about. Three keys to building great lives, which is all about building great relationships. At the end of your life, it doesn't matter how many cars and houses and boats and trains you got. Amen? You know the only thing you can take to heaven? People. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that counts. When you stand before God one day, he won't, he won't care about your job and your promotion. He'll care about the people in your world. And I believe as human beings, we're created in the, in the image of relationships. The image of a triune God, one God but three persons 
picture of relationship in every way. And really, to have life in that more abundantly is to enjoy, not just endure, but enjoy relationships. Enjoy the best that God has for us. So uh, in the next few minutes, I want to give you a few keys. Let me first of all turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I love the, uh, the, you know, the epistles that are known as pastoral epistles, and Timothy's one of them. Why? Because it's, past- it's written to pastors, written from Paul to Pastor Timothy, who's pastoring the church at Ephesus, actually, which was the largest church in the you know, early church times. And he was a young man, Timothy. So Paul's writing and trying to give him some instruction. How do you do this right without messing up? How do you do this right without, you know, without blowing it? And it's interesting. In chapter 3, he gives them what we would look at as a list of do's and don'ts in terms of choosing elders. And, you know, we've been in the church, and we, some of us have already a mindset when we say the word elder or the word deacon or something like that, we have a mindset. But all actually Paul was talking about was choose mature Christians. Mature, smart, got it together, doing life right, Christians. And in this list, down in verse 4, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, he says, choose this, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Let me stop right there. Having his children in submission. Submission is a dirty word <laughs> to a lot of people. Why? Because we've so polluted it and, and taken it in the wrong way. And let me just break it down. It's such a great word. Submission is two words. Sub, which means come under. And mission. Mission is why you were created. And, and understand this, you don't decide your, miss, your mission as much as you discover it. And you don't have a mission as much as it has you. The two greatest days of your life is the day you were born and the day you discovered why. And when you discover your mission, dads, when you discover the reason you're alive and you begin to live your life for a purpose, it's really easy and exciting for your children to come under that purpose. And of course, they don't do the same as you, but they discover their purpose. And for a wife to come under a husband, it's, it, it's all about coming under and it's, it ends up with coming under him and God's purpose and plan for our life. And he says, you actually bring your children into that with all reverence. And that's missing today, where in families we see that, you know, that children actually reverence or respect or value or honor. And I want to live a life. I, I want to live a life where my kids love me, where they honor me, where they look up to me, where my grandchildren actually want to be like granddad. I don't want to live a me life. Amen. I don't want to live a wasted life. We've all got this precious, precious gift called life. And we can learn to do this well. And we've got to learn from each other. So you're listening to Grandpa tonight, okay? <laughs> or this morning, sorry. Verse 5 goes on to say, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? You see, he put it in priority. He said, first your marriage, first your family, then your ministry. And we got it backwards so often in the world today. I mean, I grew up in, in a time where it was prevalent where, you know, one of the, 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 the sore spots in churches were PKs, preacher's kids. Why? Because they seen the real thing and 
Dad gets up there and acts, you know, puts on the show, and they know what it's really like. And you see so many, you know, at that time there were so many messes. I want to tell you today, one of the greatest joys today in ministry, and we, we do get to travel and have friends all over the world, is some of the greatest families I've ever met on planet Earth are preacher families. Why? Because we've turned this thing around. And the fact is, okay, this is one thing I noticed when I started preaching. I've been preaching for 26 years. I was a dentist for 10 years. Started the last two years, did both. Started a church 26 years ago in the Vancouver area. And so I've learned a few things. But I noticed people will walk into church that are new, never been here before. And they'll sit and they'll judge. And they should. They should. If you're smart, you'll actually you know, assess what's going on. And what they do is they'll listen to me with one ear and watch me with one eye. Well, the other, they'll watch my family. And they're smart enough to figure out that if my family's not going to buy into what he's saying, I'm not buying in either. And you say, well, that's good for you, preacher. But you know that we're all preaching? We're all preachers. We just have different pulpits. You have a pulpit in your neighborhood. You have a pulpit in your school. You have a pulpit in your business. And they're all doing the same thing to you. They're all watching you with one eye and the other eye. They're watching your family. And they're smart enough to figure out if this Bible doesn't work in your home, don't preach it from your pulpit. Hello? If this thing doesn't work in what's really important, come on. Why do you expect me to follow? So come on, church. We can do it. We can do it right. So I want to give you some keys that are so important. And these keys talk about how we can do it, but it's not really about us as much as it's about the generations. And one of the things I, I never get tired of thinking is when I look at a room like this full of people, and I, and I look at hundreds of people, and I think, wow, look at that, hundreds of people. It, it, it blows me away because I don't see hundreds. I see millions. Why? Because I promise you, there's a multitude on the other side of you and I and every decision we make. And today, God can change hearts, and he will. And that changed heart can affect a multitude, really can. One of my favorite, if not my favorite verse in the whole Bible is Proverbs 13, 22, which says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Now, we've heard the back half of that a lot. The wealth of the wicked. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Go ahead. God, pour it out on me. I'm looking forward to the wealth. But actually, it's hooked up to the front. And the front says this. I don't know if you're a good man until I see your grandchildren. I'm going to reserve judgment. We get up and we do all that. We're going to do this. We're going to change that. And our kids watch us. And they, and, and, and they don't quite believe it because they know the real thing. And so... Our kids aren't there, and then, of course, they're not going to bring up their kids that way. But when we live this thing, real, transparent, amazing, you know, be, be like everybody. We're not perfect. We all fall down, make mistakes. You know what I figured out over the years? It's more important to teach your children how to get back up again than it is to teach them how not to fall. You spend your whole life trying to teach them how not to fall, they'll figure out a new way. But if you teach them how to get back up again, they will win in every area of life. 
And, and a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. When we live this thing such that our kids, with all reverence, come under that same heart, and they can't help but teach it to their kids and, and your grandchildren, it just gets better and better and better. And, and that's, I think, every one of our goals in life. We should see it getting better. So let me give you three keys that I think are so important. Number one is vision. Vision. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to family, recognize you can't have what you can't see. You can't get lucky. If I could just find the perfect guy. Lots of luck. (laughs) There's no such thing as the perfect person. There's no such thing as finding the perfect relationship. Why? Because you're in it. (laughs) Hello? Is there anybody in the room perfect? Okay. We need to recognize that it's about the vision we have. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12, 33. He said, make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make the tree evil and its fruit will be evil. For the tree is known by its fruit. In other words, fruit's really important. But fruit is a byproduct of tree. And we don't get to just sit back and say, well, it's not my fault. I was, I was born into a dysfunctional home. What do you expect? In other words, just, you know, that's the way I am. Can't help it. You know, I'm a guy. Guys don't, don't talk like that. Well, I, I just don't do that. He said, make the tree. In other words, it's your responsibility. Every one of us can make the tree. What's the tree? It's the inside. It's the vision. Make the vision. Make the vision. Don't sit back there and let someone else make your vision. And if you don't make your vision, I promise, they will make your vision. Everyone has a vision. Everyone has a vision. And if you don't purposely go to change that vision, you'll have what you've had in the past. And a man without a vision always reverts to his past. And you just continue yesterday's vision. You continue what was. And God wants us to take responsibility. And, and, and I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. You're here, and that's the reason you're here. You, you want to build a future. You want to change your life. And thank you for that. But when we build the tree, the tree builds the fruit. Matthew 12, 35 then goes on to say, And the good man out of the good treasure brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. You know our future? People say, well, let's just go to a fortune teller and find out what it is. There's no such thing. But your future, you can actually know your future by knowing what your vision is. People say, I wish I could have a great marriage, a great relationship. A great marriage is not luck. It's very predictable. A great family is very predictable. You can build. We can build our vision. And I know what I'm talking about because every one of us, we got challenges. I grew up with major challenges in my life. I stuttered for 25 years. I couldn't even answer the telephone. I was afraid to go to McDonald's because I couldn't, eat, I couldn't tell them what I wanted. I was afraid to go to, to you know, university. I remember actually in tears because I had to go to university. Someone might ask me my name. And God got hold of my life. And I found out I've been lied to. For 25 years, that stinking devil lied to me. And ripped me off. I got so rip snort mad. <laughs> Anytime I heard the voice of the devil say, you can't do this, I was just like a, uh, a bull 
there was steam kind of, you know, coming out of my nostrils. I put my head down and just charge. And I'll do whatever it is you said I can't do. I know I can do it. I had to begin to rebuild the vision on the inside of me. See, what you think you are will determine what you do. Belief always precedes behavior. We, we do a lot of things in our life trying to change behavior. And forget it. It's putting a Band-Aid on. Change what's on the inside. Change the tree. Change the vision. So you can't have what you can't see. If you've never seen a great marriage, you can't have one. You can't get lucky and have a great marriage. If you've never seen a dad that actually loves his kids and talks to his kids and, and, and hugs his kids and is, is everything that God says, you can't be just all, all of a sudden just get lucky and be that. And we have a responsibility to each other to actually live that vision. There's two places you get vision from. Number one, right here, the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Do you know what words are? Paintbrushes. Words paint pictures. And God's a great artist. And when you take this and you start to read it, he begins to paint a picture. And the picture is who you are. He knows you. He created you. And, and it begins to change you. Our marriage, the first four years of our marriage, was more like hell on earth than anything else. And I, didn't, I just did not know how to communicate. I did not know how to, how to talk. And we are 350 miles away, and my wife has this epiphany. She cries out to God. God gets a hold of her life, and she begins to read the Bible again. She was raised in a Christian home, but kind of left that, you know, aside. She begins to read the Bible and find out that God loves her, that God thinks that she's amazing, that she's not some failure, she's not some, you know, total reject because she's the worst wife and the worst mother. That's what she was feeling but God began to pick her up and show her who she was. And after, you know, her life being changed for uh, maybe a couple of weeks, she has this, this major revelation. And she says, God, I know you love me. And I believe you love John too. Can you show me why? Because <laughs> looking at me, it was not obvious. It's actually quite impossible to see why, why God would love me because I was not lovable. I was a jerk in every way. But she began to study. She began to reach this. And I love reading her old Bible because you'd see all over the place circles and lines with John. <laughs> she found me in here. She began to build a new vision in her of her husband. And she had a choice. She could have chose to, to believe this which looked really good, or believe that, which looked really bad. Wasn't much of a choice, was it? So she started believing this, and then she'd be calling me, and her words were different. I liked them. I never heard words like that before. Words that talked to me like I was actually a man of, of respect and a man of integrity and a man that our children are going to grow up and want to be like. I just ate up those words, and words paint pictures. And it began to paint a new picture inside of me. And my life got drastically changed. God got a hold of it. I got addicted to the word of God. And I began to discover a whole new me. And I'll tell you today, I'm not what I used to be. And every single one of us, you know, that happens over and over again in our life. And I just want to tell you, you're in charge. And, and, and what you do with your life is not really about you as much as it's about the generations. It's about a multitude. Every one of us were born to change the world. Every one of us, every one of us to change the world. 
And we look at and think our life is just so small, we need to think bigger, need to think a lot bigger. There's two places you get vision from. One is the Word of God. The second is the people you hang around. That's why you go to church. That's the most important reason for going to church. If I asked you, why do you go to River Valley? You'd say, well, it's close to home. <laughs> Wrong answer. Because God's there. <laughs> He's everywhere. You know why you go to River Valley? Because who's there? Because of the people that are there. And you'll end up becoming like the people you hang around. Proverbs 13, 20 says, hang around wise people, become wise. Hang around great marriages, have a great marriage. Hang around great parenting, great families, have a great family. Hang around a whole bunch of people that are talking about what's wrong and what never works. You can have more of that if you want. Go to the, you know, the place where the, all, all the do-nothings talk about do-nothing. Donuts, whatever. But we choose by who we hang around our future. And let me just encourage you. This is a great church. Really, I, I, I love your pastors. I love the team. I love, it's healthy. The Bible says you plant it in the house of the Lord. You grow up healthy. So get planted. Number two, the second key I want to talk about is communication. Communication. Now, here, you got a stutterer talking about communication. 25 years, I couldn't, I couldn't talk, and here I am talking about communication. Well, I think I got the right to talk about it. <laughs> Have you heard me? I haven't stuttered once. once. It's because God did a miracle in my life. But you know, the greatest lesson I ever learned in communication was... 28 years ago, a long time ago, I was a dentist. God had got a hold of my life. I was now, you know, everybody wanted to hear what happened to me. The stutterer now can talk. People were getting healed and baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I was God's man of power for the hour. And I was flying all over the place, speaking at different conferences. And on one of those trips, on my way home, we've been away from home too long, and in an airport, waiting for a plane, Missing home and my little girls. I had eight, seven, and five. Three little girls at home. And I'm walking through an airport um, card shop. You know, one of those stationary shops. And I see this little card. It's a, it's a little kid's card with a sunshine on it. And it just got my attention. Why? Because my oldest daughter, her name is Angela Sunshine. And people used to think, you guys must have been hippies. <laughs> to name your daughter Sunshine. But I, I actually just love the name Sunshine. If you remember John Denver's Sunshine on my shoulders, I and mean, all the older ones, <laughs> it was one of my favorite songs. And I would have named her first name Sunshine. I really would have, but our last name was Burns. <laughs> so I couldn't do it. It just didn't work. So, so I had to buffer it with Angela. So I named her Angela Sunshine. And oh, this card got my attention. And I just got this this idea, never heard of it before, but bought the card, filled it out, put it on her pillow. It said, Dear Angela, would you please be my special date on Thursday night? Love, Daddy. I just thought it was a good idea. I had no idea what it meant to her. But I'll never forget Thursday night coming home from work. And I, and I walked in, stepped in the front door, and we have a, in our house, we have a staircase that goes up like this. And I looked up and out stepped the queen. Eight years old. Perfect hair, a little bit of makeup, a daddy dress on, which means frills. And then she began to walk down the stairs. See if you can catch this, okay? This is her walk down the stairs. <laughs> 
And she really did have her, had her chin up like that. Do you know what that is? That's the wedding walk. Every little girl practices the wedding walk for the most important man in her world. And I was surprised it was me. But I didn't miss it. I went out, put on my best black suit, came down, took my date by the arm, opened the car door. We drove to the nicest restaurant, had a candlelight meal together. And then I thought, how do you talk to an eight-year-old? <laughs> Guys, you know what I'm talking about. I would have taken a bullet for her without thinking. But I had no idea what was going on in her world. So I began to struggle along, you know, kind of asking her some questions like, uh, so what do you do all day? <laughs> do you still have recess? I didn't know. Do you have any friends? What are their names? And she began to share with me her life. And, and you know what intimacy is? I know it's corny, but it's into me see. And as she began to open up to someone that wanted to know, this amazing relationship happened. And I discovered, I, I made this, this amazing discovery that every person has their own world. And their world's just as important as yours. I thought, you know, my world's very important, but this little eight, it's only eight. But she, she's got her own world. And if you want to have a big life, a big life is not about more stuff out there. It's about more in here. And the big life happens by actually you get to walk in. You get to walk in their shoes. You get to see through their eyes, hear through their ears, recognize what, what life is all about from their point of view. And that's the key to communication. Communication, the goal is to understand. It's not to talk. It's not to be right. It's not to be heard. It's to understand. And I began to understand, and well, it was amazing. And I decided I'm never quitting. So 28 years ago, I began this Tradition, tradition. <laughs> if you were here listening to my, dad, my, my, my wife last night, her favorite movie, Tradition, Fiddler on the Roof. And we began our dating tradition 28 years ago. We got a big calendar. And listen, if you don't hear anything I say, else I say, dads, this is what you need to do. I've had so many young pastor dads ask me over the years, give me what is the most important thing I can do so I don't miss it. I don't miss my family and my, my marriage, mess that up, and my ministry. I'll keep it all together. I said, easy, get a calendar. But I use an iPhone. No, get a calendar. But I use my computer. No, get a calendar, a big one. And on that calendar, write the most important thing in your world, and they have names. And you know your name means a lot to you? Aren't you, aren't you amazed when someone knows your name? And I've got this big calendar and wrote Angela, Danica, and Ashley every month on that calendar. We put it eye level on the, on the fridge. They used to walk by it a thousand times a day. And you know what they're looking at? Their name. Because it meant I'm important to daddy. And when that day came, there's no way in the world any urgent things could have robbed from the important things, they make sure we're going on a date. And I dated my daughters once a month. And every month we'd go on that date. And I just thought it was a great idea. I didn't realize how amazing it was. You know, I was setting a, 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 a vision for them. I was teaching them how to be treated, how to be treated with respect. When the boys came knocking years later, if they didn't measure up to dad, they didn't even get to first base. They didn't get in the door. 
I set a standard for their life. And dad, you need to do that. It's amazing. Learned so much. And after dating my daughters for two or three months, I had a brainwave. I thought, this is so good. Why don't I date my wife? <laughs> Slow. So we began dating. And I would encourage every marriage in this room, you need to never stop dating. And don't date once a month is not enough. I would encourage once a week. You think, well, I can't afford to date once a week. Alimony costs you a lot more. <laughs> you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. And a date, listen to me. If you're going to write some notes down here, write this down. This is an, an equation. Date equals four words. Special. You can have anything boring if you want, or you can make it special. Planned. It won't happen on its own. You've got to write it down. You've got to plan it. Time. It's going to take time. The most important thing you have in your life is time. Communication. Time of communication. A date is about communication. I've had so many over the years, you know, finally the penny drops. Wife will come to me and say, I'm so excited. Pastor, my husband asked me on a date. I said, great, tell me how it goes. So they come back the next week. Well, we went to All You Can Eat, Uncle Willie's. <laughs> Guys, it's not about food. A date's not about food. If you're so hungry, eat before you leave home. <laughs> but you go on a date to find the atmosphere. That's what romantic is, where you can engage in communication for the process of getting to know who this person is. Communication to understand. I want to discover who you are. And like I mentioned last night, you'll never figure that all out. Stay amazed is the key to having a great life. This person's created in the image of God. How can you think you've exhausted who she is or who he is? So you're on a date and you go for that purpose. You will continually grow and your marriage will get better and better and better. That's what communication's all about. Number three, the third key that I want to talk about is commitment. Commitment is the safety net that you can make mistakes, you can be human, and there's going to be a tomorrow, okay? I'm committed. It's called always and forever. Husbands, you want to really, extra bonus points, next time you tell your, life, your, your wife that you love her, Add always and forever. I'll always love you. I'll love you forever. That's really the important thing. Commitment is this ability for us to get back up again. And I really learned this with my middle daughter, Danica. We discovered at about 14 years old that Danica had an eating disorder. She was anorexic and bulimic. I couldn't believe it. I thought I got to be the worst dad. What's wrong? Ah, I was, we were devastated. And I thought, like a typical man, I'll fix it. I'll teach her what to eat, when to eat, how to eat, as if eating is the problem. It's not. And we went down this road for a number of years. I thought, I'll pray for her. I'll cast out devils. I'll do this. I'll, I'll fast. I'll, and it, it, everything seemed to be getting worse. Finally, years later, I kind of hit bottom. And I remember hitting my knees and literally crying out to God. And God, I'll do anything. I'll give everything. God, just heal my baby. I was afraid for her life. And I felt like 
this miracle happen. And, I, I, and God did something, but he didn't actually do anything for Danica. I felt he did something for me. I felt like God put his arms around me. And I heard this. God said to me, everything's going to be all right. And he calls me Johnny. He says, everything's going to be all right, Johnny. And I was, oh. I just knew that I knew that I knew. Everything's going to be all right. I got up out of that time of prayer, and the weight of the world was off my shoulders. All I needed to do was trust God, trust Danica. But I looked at Danica, and nothing looked different in her life. She still looked like she was under the cloud. And, and one day she walks into the kitchen with this look on her face. And, and, and I looked at her, and I thought, Danica, come here. I didn't know how, but I needed to get what was in my heart into her heart. And I said, Danica, come here. And then she looked at me, and I said, come here. Come here. So sheepishly she walks over to me. And I remember I put my arms all the way around her. And I'll never forget, I could feel her ribs. She was so small. And her head fit perfect, perfectly right here. And so I was, had my head, my chin on, on her hair, and she was getting baptized in Daddy's love as the tears were pouring off. And out of the abundance of my heart came these words, Danica, there's nothing you can ever do to make me love you more. There's nothing you can ever do to make me love you less. I just plain love you. You will always be my princess. When you're 80 and I'm 100, you still be my princess. And I know she kind of wanted to break away like this was a hug, but I wouldn't let go. I just wouldn't let go. And finally, she just gave in and let me, stronger than her, love her, hold her. And she just broke. And a miracle happened on the inside of her. And, you know, out of that experience, I wrote a book called The Miracle in a Daddy's Hug. And I talk about the miracle that happens when a dad puts his arms around his child. You know, dad, that you are the example of the strength of this world. Every child is as strong as their dad, as big as their dad. That's why little boys go around, my dad's bigger than your dad. (laughs) When you put your arms all around and safety and security is around your children, you need to recognize the miracle in a daddy's hug is not only your hug, but the child. Every child is a miracle full of miracles. It's, it's in seed form, but you've got to plant that seed in the soil of commitment, of, of love that, that, that goes forever. No matter what you do, nothing you could do could make me love you more. Nothing you could do could make me love you less. Recognize the miracle of touch, especially daughters. Dads, you know that your daughters are seven times more, ten times actually, sorry, ten times more sensitive to touch than men. And when a daughter, listen to me, this is, this, this is a little ad thing to you. When a daughter hits puberty, okay, her whole world is changing. She's, hit, she's on, a, on a roller coaster ride. It's an emotional change for, for a girl. And actually, she needs, she doesn't just want, she needs godly male touch. And something happens, and I could explain it to you physiologically, when a, you know, she's touched by a male, there's something happens on the inside of her, and if she doesn't get it from dad, she's going to be looking at all the wrong places. And typically, this is what happens. When a, when a young girl hits puberty, dads don't even know it, but they're backing off. Why? Well, first of all, the emotional thing. I don't do emotion. I'm not good with tears. Go talk to your mom. And at the same time, she's beginning to become a woman, the scariest thing in the world for every dad. Because <gasps> he knows what the others are thinking out there. And so I don't know where to put my arms. Can't wrestle on the floor anymore. 
And if ever she needed the safety, stability, security of nothing you could ever do could make me love you more. Nothing you could ever do could make me love you less. It's at that crazy time in her world. So every single one of us, we need to realize there's a miracle in a daddy's hug. It's so important. I, I just want to encourage you. Uh, there's some resources, but that is something that, that can help every family. And you know, it, it, the miracle happened. And, and today we have a, a mercy home in Canada because of Danica. She, she's, she's an amazing young mother. The, 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 you know, the doctor said, you so hurt your body, you may never have children again. But she's a miracle. And we actually got involved with Mercy. And I'll never forget the first time I went to Mercy, to Nashville. And um, Nancy asked us to come and teach for a week there. And I thought, what am I going to teach on? I prayed about it. God said, teach on dads. So I came all fired up to teach on dads. First night I sat and I listened to the girls. I didn't teach. I listened to their stories. And I just shrunk in my seat farther and farther down. Why? Because almost every story was about dad, but about a horrible relationship. And all kinds of horrible things. And this one girl, Sarah, she couldn't look at me. And her story was she had been sexually abused by her dad from early childhood on. At 15, he impregnated her. When he found out that she was pregnant, he got so mad he almost beat her to death. And then he took a coat hanger and performed abortion himself. Sarah couldn't even look at me. And I don't blame her. All week long I was teaching and miracles were happening. But Sarah didn't look, not once. Friday, the last meeting, we're having question and answer, and everything had finished, and Sarah's hand went up. And I said, Sarah, what's the question? She never looked up, and I couldn't hear her voice. So you know what I did? She's sitting in a chair, and I got down on my knee, and I took her chin, I lifted it up, and I said, Sarah, look at me. What's the question? And I'll never forget, she said to me, where do I start? I said, Sarah, you start like everybody with the next step. And Sarah, not all men are like your dad. Sarah, I'm a good dad. I really am. But you got a great dad in heaven. And, and Sarah, and I, and I went on and I tried to help her understand how to trust God and take one step at a time. I came back a year later. And uh, Sarah had graduated, was gone. And I was talking to the girls, and it was after a graduation time. And at graduations, the girls can invite some friends. So one of the girls that was graduating invited Sarah. And Sarah came back. And when she saw me, she literally ran across the room, put her arms around me. Pastor John, remember me? Yeah. <laughs> remember that question? Yeah. She said, I took the CD, I took the answer, and listened to it over and over again. God has so changed my life. Listen to this. She went to the police. Her dad's in jail. Come on. She's a hero. Do you know what that takes? Talk about guts. She's such an amazing woman. I was telling this story a couple of months ago. I was, I was actually speaking at a women's conference in River Valley, um, a great Assembly of God church. In James River, sorry, this is a great Assembly of God church too, by the way. <laughs> James River, too much close, the same name, yeah. Anyway, I was speaking in James River, and I was telling this story, and all the women were like, you know, like, like you are, like, oh. And, and then at the end I said, and the reason I was so excited to come here is Sarah goes to your church. And then I said, Sarah, come here. 
But she gets up and runs to the front, and the place just broke out. And she is, I, I think right now, she's actually graduated as a, a teacher of kids with special needs. And she's just beaming. And here's the key. As she came back that next year, ran across the room, gave me a big hug. Pastor John, remember me? Yeah. I said to her, I was, I was standing here holding, talking to Sarah, and sitting right here was a 15-year-old girl with the same story. I said, Sarah, have you met? Have you met? And I put the two together. And I look over about 20 minutes later, and they got arms around each other, tears. And Sarah's ministering to her. Here's the thing for every one of us. Where does it start? The next step. Where does it stop? Not with you. It goes beyond you. But it starts with the next step. You may be here today, and you've never had that dad that said, I'm proud of you. Maybe you never had that dad that, that you're my princess. You'll always be my princess. People say, well, it's easy for you, John. You've got a dad like that. I never heard that from my dad. Never heard I'm proud of you. About seven years ago on Father's Day, I called him and I said, Happy Father's Day, Dad. And he said, oh, oh, oh great. Go on. Thanks for calling, John. You're ready to hang up. That's my dad. Have you ever seen the show Everyone Loves Raymond? His dad. That's my dad. Okay? And he's ready to hang up. I said, Dad, Dad, what? Don't hang up. Why? I want to say something. What? I just want to say that I'm just glad you're my dad. I love you. Silence. <laughs> and then this crackly voice. I'm glad you're mine too. Love you too. Click. <laughs> that night we went to my brother's place, and I have five brothers and five sisters, and all of us together, there's 80 of us, there's a crowd. It's called peer pressure. And I walked into the middle of them, and my dad saw me and come, come running over, put his arms around me, and gave me a kiss. I thought, Dad, you need a shave. <laughs> no. I don't know how you women do it. But... But then he, but, but, but then he said to me, look at me. He said, have I ever told you how proud of you I am? He said, I want you to know I'm proud of you. Don't you ever forget it. I love you. Do you know, since that time, I've never left his presence where he hasn't hugged me, sometimes kissed me, <laughs> told me I, he loves me, and he's proud of me. But not just me, every one of my brothers and sisters. Do you think it started with me? All I did was give him the license to be what he wants to be. And every single one of us in this room, the vision starts. It starts with us, but it doesn't end with us. It's so much bigger than us. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room. God, for those in this room that have never heard a dad Tell them I'm proud of you. God, it starts with us. I pray, Lord, right now that, that, that even in, in this moment that they hear that voice, everything's going to be all right. I'm proud of you. I'm so glad you're my son. You are amazing. For those that have never heard, I, you're my princess. I love you. I'll, I'll, nothing you could do could ever change it. God, right now they, they hear your voice. You're a great, awesome dad. God, they'd begin to, to change that vision. And on the other side of it, there'd be a multitude. 
Father, you know what everyone needs. And God, I'm praying that that as we leave here today, we leave encouraged. I pray, Lord, for for many that that need prayer in their life. When they look at this situation, they recognize there's a a pain. And and God, you are the healer. I pray, Lord, as, as, as the team comes forward in just a few minutes, that people would come and allow God, you to be that dad. You to be that healer that they need right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, thank you.